Oh, so he did join this voice. I thought he was going to join the other one. Well, yeah. This is the right So channel, why can't I, I join it? What the hell? Oh, wait, I'm already here. Hello. Well, I'm hey. How is everybody? Hey, guys. Hey, guys. Meaningless, but that's a start. Hey, Deke Tech Baked Potato. Isaac, you guys have gay ass names, dude. Look at my name. Yeah. It's plain and simple. It's me. Yeah, be, be more like me and she. There we go. Mine is better because it distorts people whenever they try to ping. Both are great leaders, uh, according to <laughs> the world, you know. Yeah, your mic is kind of bad. What's up? Yeah, yeah it sounds it's really like it's far away. Yes. Sound like you're yelling across the room. You sound like you're you're <laughs> in the kitchen. I kind of want to figure out his real name. Not gonna lie. Just cr no, scrambling no, no, some no, eggs. I'm gonna guess his real name is Clint. Clint. Oh, that's a fan fiction I can get behind. Eastwood. Yeah. yeah the video is really interesting. I mean, it can't be with like the average, I mean, it is. everyday poor person can kind of live. Like a king would. Three parts of China then went back to the US. Yeah, that's a lot of Yeah, you sound very quick. Ah, money. Yeah, I'm checking out the live stream. Yeah, so uh, the doxing form is uh, that's some new information. But yeah, anyway, I was just saying that it, it's kind of cool. I mean, I didn't even notice that, but we have the same. I mean, the average person has the same kind of better living standard than a king would all those years ago. Are you like, sure about that? Life expectancy. Better living oh, yeah, standards right than, than a king. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're not trying to be murdered, so... So, um... I have a quick... Oh, no, 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 you, you can... You can... Thinking about it, we, we're so privileged nowadays that we actually have to stop eating. Like, that's a goal. It's just like to stop eating and lose weight. Huh. <laughs> it's cool, man. What is the fat French lady oh, that's uh, almost got France destroyed? Uh, Marie Antoinette or something? She ate cake oh, yeah, once Marie and they rioted. Hey, remember the time that her hair was literally a bowl because she didn't know how to spend huh. money? That's like a daily thing now. 
Hey, didn't some guy in Russia try to make everyone stop eating for a while? No, boy. If you say Stalin, I'm gonna be so mad. <laughs> I'm sorry for angering you. He no, definitely I... was gonna say Stalin. Uh, I'm checking out the YouTube live stream. Uh, I could barely hear anyone. Okay. Yeah, I'm on it, but I'm muted. I, I've muted it. Okay, I'm just gonna ask this already because I've been waiting. Are you gonna make? Are you? Do you think you're ever gonna make a video on the economic relations between U.S. and China? Ooh, that would mm. be a good one. Yeah, maybe. Maybe I'll steal your uh, steal your idea. There. Or is that too controversial? Uh, it's it's well worth discussing. I think it's but, too basic. But so, but, yeah. but so much has been going on right now for the past year um, yeah might want to wait until the drama subsides <laughs> if it subsides hear, hear me out right yeah, so instead of making a video on just china i guess like make a video on america's foreign policy which is all about free markets and global free trade or at least it was sort of and how that changed the world rather than i guess because uh, the, the foreign powers before that was all about pushing culture rather than pushing um pushing their own like religion and stuff like that or, or, or they, w they weren't really about increasing the living standards or there was no incentive to increase the living standards of others uh but america was i guess the first country in order to do that and then extend that power to the rest of the world shrinking global poverty also okay um i think uh, 1000 yeah it's a sort of politely waited so we'll let him ask his question before we delve into uh, content solutions oh, yeah. or anything like that yeah, your mic is really low, dude. Sorry about that. Uh, it's regarding the video. So uh, I was wondering, did uh, research like uh, the Bretton Woods conference go into it <laughs> by any chance? Yeah, so I actually specifically discussed the Bretton Woods conference in the second video in the series. Uh, so I didn't um, go over sort of details of it all over again. But certainly, um, this one more so than even the, the video on China, I would encourage people to watch in order. Because uh, certainly, like things like Bretton Woods is so important to understand for where America finds itself today, uh, you know, both in terms of like sort of the world's default everything, uh, and also, you know, sort of it, it, a lot of its sort of internal policies for how it conducts business and things like that. So it's really, really important to understand. Uh, but yes, I did get into it in the last video. So the, set, the modern economy of, of the USA as opposed to, to this one specifically. Oh, oh, it was in a previous, my bad, I should go back and watch the uh, previous video, right? You absolutely should. No, 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 well, look, I mean, if you haven't seen it, yeah, look, there, there was sort of a three-part series on the economy of the United States. What I might do is actually put them in a playlist specifically, because right now they're kind of mungled in with all of the um, the country's economics explained sort of playlist. Um, the regular countries. Yeah, the regular countries, whereas, you know, the United States is special and it deserves a playlist all itself. Mm. Yeah, we have <laughs> a different story. Uh, also, are you ever going to start making videos on, like, instead of specific countries, on maybe alliances? Like, just for example, NATO and BRICS? Yeah, or well, an entire damn continent. Well, I might do the European <laughs> Union. Uh, my plan is to individually do every sort of country on Earth. Um, but certainly, like, yeah. um, NATO, in a sense, is probably more of a military sort of alliance rather than necessarily sort of like an economic, uh, you know, participation system. 
Uh, certainly, I mean, there is something to be said for, for, for having, you know, everyone's back, uh, you know, military spending and whatnot sort of dispersed mm-hmm. between the countries. But it would probably more specifically be like the European Union um, would be one mm-hmm. that I would explore in and for itself. But NATO being a military alliance, like, it depends. Because if you look at NATO's history and why it was formed, then it can be a military alliance. But if you just look at NATO's impact on its member states in the modern day, it's more of an economic alliance. This is true. Yes, I mean a lot of um, a lot of uh, sort of the sentiment of, of the USA specifically is that you know we're defending these countries that are part of NATO, uh, which means we're kind of bearing the burden of this huge military expenditure. Whereas you know I don't know these other countries in, in Europe specifically, you know, aren't spending anything. Which is how is that fair? Um, and that is certainly an economic issue, but. Uh, I'll have to explore it. I mean, I'll have to do a little bit more research on it to sort of say if there's going to be anything of substance to, to make a video out of. Um, but certainly, uh, it is a pretty cool issue, probably more so for a historian rather than, than an economist. You know, hides head. I mean, it would be the case if Europe would actually, like, react to it, which they don't. Well, keep in mind that NATO was founded during the Cold War. It was, it was in response to the Soviet Union expanding its... Uh, its power in, into into the rest of the world and it was like a clash of ideologies hmm. but yeah i mean, it's I mean even 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 today um nato nato is still needed uh, against russia They I mean, do supply us with gas. I mean, they can still keep us under uh, economic strong hold. Uh, well, how do I say it? Like, yeah. They've got your bowls and a vice. still Russians. Excuse me? They got your bowls and a vice because they control your natural gas. That does sound Yeah, exactly. Painful. And there's no nature yeah. that can change that. Yeah, that's true. It's actually probably one of the um, one of the big uh, sort of um, geopolitical issues of the modern world is is uh, you know powering Europe, uh, which is why I think like uh, even beyond sort of like the uh, environmental goodness of it, exploring renewables and and um, sort of moving to a society that has electric cars and things like that would probably be a huge push for Europe, just because it, uh, it kind of very much limits the uh, the influence I suppose that Russia can have over them. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you, pro- you probably are, are fully aware of uh, of Russia's biggest uh, gas company uh, um, encroaching Gazprom. into yeah Gazprom. They're like encroaching into a lot of like sports advertising and sponsorships. Is that so? Is it? My goodness, I did not. I didn't actually know that. Yeah. Obviously, it's probably yeah. completely out of my. Um, field of view here in Australia. Like, I mean, we we got plenty I of think, mining I think, and all that kind of I stuff. I think it's I think it's I think it's the only uh, company that that's been sponsoring into you know like soccer and uh, another like a uh, big big name um, uh, sports and, uh, tournaments and co- competitions. Wow! It, it is to it, they 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 do this to uh, f- to to like uh, bring good image. Because in the past, Gazprom has gotten itself into a lot of, uh, of, mm, you could say, cronism or corruption. Well, I think a better demonstration, actually, of the cronyism is how a lot of uh, important German politicians 
are now working for Gazprom or are working on German-Russian relationships or other Gazprom-related functions? Yeah, it's it's kind of one of those it's one of those interesting things. Because obviously, because um, Gazprom's a Russian company, um, it was sort of like a leftover. It is from... state-owned. Yeah, yeah. It is state-owned. One question: that Do you think that American companies didn't do the same thing? Yeah, that's that's well, actually sort of. Well, sound have gonna... a pipeline to Europe? Can they? <laughs> well, I mean, not not in the sense of do they have a pipeline to Europe and all of that sort of uh, stuff, but. Uh, the sort of fluid relationship between policymakers and um, you know senior positions within very profitable companies, uh, and whether that sort of constitutes corruption or sort of you know influence and things like that, um, which is certainly a huge huge issue, uh, certainly for like a very corporate. Not via nation. pipelines, but well, LNG, for example. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, for for Germany specifically, I'm actually sort of very shocked to 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 know that because I know Gazprom uh, and any kind of state-owned Russian thing would be very even more sort of touchy than um, let's say an American politician going and working for uh, you know BP or Exxon Mobil or whatever um, after they sort of get out of office because uh, you know at least. Exxon Mobil, for example, is is an American company, whereas Gazprom is is very very much Russian, which is, um, yeah. Well, look, I mean, obviously, I've sort of seen any evidence to substantiate that, but that's um, that's crazy to me. Um, but I suppose I probably shouldn't be surprised. Now, uh, I don't know how this always happens. No matter what country it is that we we um, have a topic on, uh, we didn't talk about Russia this much after the Russia video. So it just seems like whatever country the video was about, it's like the Aww. one specific company that we, a country that we refuse to talk about in the Q&A session. Ah, I'm so proud of yeah, your yeah, native ability Russia to make that was happen. Like first to do the communist. Uh, yeah, anyway, so I posted um, uh, something on the VC chat. Like, I think you should make a video on the Mon Pelerin Society, because I think it's cool. And there's not much video. I still there. want him to do an account the economy. It's very of an interesting. Empire. Thing. Hey, do this, do that. Hey. <laughs> there is a it was, it there is a channel specifically. A recommendation. <laughs> there's a channel specifically for this, but um <laughs> uh, recommendation. Oh, Friedrich Hayek, oh my goodness. Yeah, please do, please, please. Uh, I've never actually. I've got to be honest. I've never actually. I've never actually heard of this, but it sounds uh, interesting. I mean, I don't it's, know. It's all the boy. Br br briefly explain it to me, because this sounds. Interesting. Uh, I guess. I guess it's a bunch of neolibs just um, deciding world economic policy. Small thing. Small thing. It's a, it's a tiny thing. Okay. Yeah, just Friedrich Hayek, um, von Mises. No, small guys. The Backstreet Boys of Classical Economics. You're wrong, wow. sir. Okay, they're the Westlife of economics. Backstreet Boys uh, is much more famous. <laughs> John, more John, famous. John Forbes Nash is Mr. Worldwide, mate. Yeah. Much cooler. Um, well, cool. all of the Backstreet Boys of economics questions aside, my goodness gracious me. Um, we had a really good question over on the YouTube live stream. Thank goodness someone pulled through for me. Uh, is the debt demand economy part of the reason interest rates are generally falling? So really good question. That was Daniel Masaka over on the YouTube live stream. Uh, and that's a really interesting thing because it's not necessarily the reason. It's part of a reaction to the reason. So 
Uh, monetary policy is the raising and lowering of interest rates, and that tends to be something that reacts to the general sort of well-being of an economy. Oh, he's retracted the manager. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, it tends to be something that reacts to the, the general well-being of an economy. So at the moment, um, you know, things like the stock market are at an all-time high, um, and you know, uh, things are going oh. a little bit better in the, the US economy. So, what the hell? Whoever is that? What is that? It's somebody cooking and chopping something. I think it's something else. <laughs> They're cooking a baked oh. potato. Anyway, um, but look, let's say sort of in the last few years, uh, the economy of the United States has sort of picked back up again. You know, employment is, is doing all right. And certainly, you know, in, in terms of companies, uh, we, we've reached sort of the highest level of prosperity um, for, from, you know, sort of publicly listed companies in, in American history. So it seems like the American economy is, you know, on a bit of a winning streak and it, it's going quite well. Um, and that yes. sort of has caused, kind of curiously, uh, the Reserve Bank to, to raise interest rates again. You know, I'm not sure what the cash rate is for the United States, but I know it was sort of approaching zero, and and now it's sort of it's it's back up there again, um, and that uh, is a reaction to well, suddenly the times are a little bit better again. We can afford that slightly higher interest rate because this is what's called counter cyclical money uh, monetary policy. So when times are bad. Uh, we want people to go out there and spend some more money, just like we've explored in the video. A lot of people spend on credit, um, so if we lower interest rates, uh, it means a few things. For starters, people will be paying less on their home loans if they're on variable interest rates. It also means that you know the burden on personal loans, things like that, are sort of a little bit less. Your, your repayments will be lower if you're looking at getting a car loan, things like that, which might tempt people to go out and spend a little bit. Uh, it also means that they're going to be saving less in their uh, savings accounts because you know you're not getting a high interest savings anymore uh, so it's like oh well i could keep this thousand dollars in my savings account and it might get me two bucks a month or i can go out and spend it uh, and that's probably going to give me more satisfaction and that's overall good for an economy it gets it circulating the opposite is also true if you raise interest rates the opposite thing happens and it gets people to be a little bit more conservative now by sort of pulling that lever when times are good and times are bad and sort of making sure that you kind of control it it regulates that spending so that people are a little bit more conservative during the good times and a little bit more sort of freewheeling with their money during the bad times, which alleviates the effects of, of either of those. So, um, yes, you know, the debt demand um, sort of equation, uh, the debt demand relationship is the reason that you see um, interest rates falling in, let's say, European countries where, um, you know, probably times aren't as good and they really desperately want to try people to, to get them out there spending. Um, but yeah, so that that's sort of how it kind of works out in in theory, at least. Um, so good question, Daniel. Uh, someone else had a question over on Discord, I believe. Uh, yeah, speaking of credit, um, how how do banks in America chase after uh, people with bad credit? Uh, well, that's dependent on on any single bank, obviously. You know, if it's something like a secured liability, so something like a home loan. Um, you chase after them, you can take them to court, and then ultimately if they don't pay up, you take their home. If it's unsecured debt, like let's say a credit card, uh, where there's nothing necessarily backing that debt, obviously the interest rate's quite a bit higher, uh, you, you sort of are at liberty to chase it up. Um, you know, plenty of phone calls, plenty of hate, you haven't paid your visa bill. Um, and then from that, uh, they normally sell the debt to debt collectors. Uh, the debt collectors will, let's say you have a $10,000 debt owing on your Visa card, and let's say it's from Bank of America. Uh, Bank of America will say to a debt collector, hey, I have this $10,000 debt here um, for, you know, a baked potato who owes me money. 
Um, but look, you know, I know it's going to cost you a little bit to, to chase this up, and I don't even necessarily know if you're going to get it from him. Um, but I'll sell you this debt for a thousand dollars. And you know, let's say someone says, "Okay, yeah, no worries, I'll do that. I'll buy that debt for a thousand dollars." And then they're fully within their right to chase after baked potato. And normally they'll show up on their doorstep with a you know baseball bat. And normally they're a little bit intimidating debt collectors. And you know, baked potato will be strong armed into either paying back the full amount or let's say you know five thousand dollars of it. And normally they can negotiate. Um, and that's how they sort of get their money back. Now, obviously, for the debt collectors, there's a risk there because they could go after baked potato and, you know, he could be dead or he could have fled the country or he could sort of just have no way of possibly paying it back or he could declare bankruptcy and, and after that happens, they have no right to go after it. Uh, but that's normally how it works. So it's kind of a win-win. It's a, you know, win for the bank because they get a little bit of their money back and also a win for the debt collectors because they can turn around and try and make a profit. Not, not a win for baked potato because normally he gets his head smashed in with a baseball bat if he doesn't pay it. I, I have a question on uh, credits. So uh, it's been like, I guess, the practice of uh, America and most Western countries to kind of just in theory, print money and in order to boost aggregate demand whenever there's a recession. But there's been this buzzword around called Japanification in which like what would happen if aggregate demand doesn't increase uh, once all this money is kind of just printed and pushed out? Like what happens if just people just stop spending that much? Well, I mean, a lot of that has to do with confidence. I mean, it's inherently a human desire to have more and more things. You know, people are greedy. They want, you know, you know, nice cars, a nice big house, um, you know, a new watch or whatever it may be. People have the inherent sort of propensity to go out and spend. The only thing that sort of really stops that is either, you know, the lack of ability or the lack of willingness to do it. And that's sort of what we explored in the video. Now, in Japan, for example, it's probably a little bit of both. Um, obviously, they're an aging population, you know, rate uh, like uh, income growth is, is relatively stagnant. Uh, and that sort of means that a lot of sort of younger people don't necessarily have the ability to sort of move out of home or buy new cars or whatever that may be. And they also have a very old population, so you know, there's a lot of sort of overhead sort of pulling them down there. Now in Europe, um, there are sort of obviously very wealthy people. There are you know people that that are you know poor, and and their their uh, income hasn't grown that much either. Uh, but it's probably more so a, a lack of willingness. You know, they've been through the Eurozone crisis, they're seeing Brexit happen before their eyes, uh, they're seeing things like negative interest rates and all that kind of stuff. It all sort of has a lot of alarm bells going off for the average European, uh, which means that they're sort of, you know, happy to stay in their modest apartment. They're sort of happy to drive their slightly older car and, you know, you know take a bike to work and maybe sort of not go on that holiday or buy that watch or whatever it may be. So it's much more probably a willingness. Uh, and I think eventually, willingness you can overcome uh lack of ability well that's much harder so i think um they probably aren't in as a dire situation as japan is just yet yeah thanks uh i, I guess because japan had that massive uh consumer culture as well and then they kind of a switch just flipped in which they didn't anymore they had a massive massive uh, growing economy, people were buying, people would take flights from one end of the country to the other just to get lunch and then come back. And then suddenly all of that stopped. So, And they thought that good times would never end uh, as well. Like a lot of those are like, oh, you know, this is our mm -hmm. turn to be rich and we're going to be the... Uh, well, I mean, it's probably going to sound... Um, please don't take this in the wrong way. Um, and it's something that has been noted, otherwise oh, no. we wouldn't necessarily be bringing it up. 
but Japan and certainly the culture of Japan, they have sort of an inherent um, self-confidence, I suppose, that uh, they can do it better than anyone else. Um, so once they became wealthy, they're like, oh, we're going to be the best wealthiest nation in the world. We're going to, you know, leave, you know, America and all that kind of stuff in, in the dust. Uh, and look, I mean, self-confidence is, is fantastic for, for uh, stimulating consumer confidence because you kind of have the assumption that, oh, this is just the beginning of it. We're going to live in some like Elysium style, uh, you know, post-scarcity world in, yeah, in 20 years. So I may as well start enjoying it now. Um, and then, of course, you know, but, that wasn't necessarily yeah, the case. It wouldn't be, it wouldn't be um, in like America, to, though. It would just be in, in Mars, perhaps. I'd like to add to that that, uh, so I work in real estate, and I do know a little uh, bit of the history regarding the financial crisis around Japan. Back during the good times, they were buying up uh, large major corporations and individuals were buying up prime real estate in the U.S. for well over marked up prices. And then when it all collapsed and they either couldn't afford to hold on to these properties anymore, the, the value is just the, at a loss. Yeah, does that Isn't sound that does that in, in, uh, non-familiar to, to another, you know, rapidly developing Asian nation in the world today? In real, uh, Mongolia. You, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> it's Mongolia. Yeah, true. Buying up all that prime land. Hmm. And look, I mean, I think um, China probably won't have as severe as reaction as Japan. Um, certainly their government has a lot more of a sort of hand over their economy, so it's, uh, it's a little bit more controlled. Um, and they've sort of seen the lesson of, of Japan. Uh, and, and also, you know, they have sort of um, a, a younger population. Um, but it's still going to be something they'd need to, um, to look out for, especially with things like the one-child policy. They, they could fall into many of the same traps uh, that Japan did, especially um, since they kind of have the same sort of relationship with, uh, you know, uh, immigrant workers. You know, Japan, one of its major downfalls is its lack of ability to, to sort of welcome, you know, skilled workers into the country. Uh, and Japan, uh, China, for example, is a, is a little bit more liberal with it, um, but, but not nearly on the level of, let's say, you know, the United States or, or Canada or certainly Australia. Um, so that, you know, they, they have the potential to fall into many of the same traps as Japan, just on a obviously much, much larger scale. So um, also in regards to the... Uh, I'm wait. I'll, I'll come back to it. Let me collect my thoughts. <laughs> no worries, mate. No worries, mate. Um, and then uh, Dishak Jane on the YouTube live stream said, uh, "Does America suffer through more defaulters? Um, like, as in more people that take out loans go out and sort of default on them? Um, well, it depends on the type of credit. Um, certainly, America has problems with things like payday lenders and very, very subprime lenders uh, that aren't things in." Uh, normal, uh, a lot of other developed economies, um, but uh, no. Look, I mean, historically, uh, it's it's sort of about average. It certainly has a lot more of a credit culture than a lot of other nations, but their default rates are just in sort of line with with Western average. I think the worst country is is Greece, uh, but that sort of that sort of kind of just makes sense. Uh, okay. Yeah, Geo Mana said Australia is so reliant on China economically. Well, could China as well influence Australia's politics? Oof, that's a spicy issue. Um, that is, is certainly very topical at the moment. I mean, yeah, uh, certainly they they do um, sort of have they're, they're a majority export partner of us, uh, and you know we we certainly do rely on them for for a lot of our sort of 
big sort of heavy industries, especially mining and the like. Um, but look, I think ultimately um, we're probably not as dependent on uh, China as people would like to think. Uh, what we are sort of very dependent on is Chinese individuals, uh, you know, buying up property and things like that to continue the growth of uh, of our sort of probably very overinflated housing bubble. But that's sort of that's a whole other can of worms. Um, I, I've collected my thoughts, so and uh, uh, please excuse my um, uh, like lapses because I'm trying to be uh, specific and exact in this. It's in regard to the video also, where you basically debt and demand drives the economy of the U the U.S. economy is the main thing of the main theme of the video. So um, one and like you said in the video, uh, the U.S. needs to be able to produce th goods and services in order to be able to buy those things and be the global demand hub of the world. So one of the uh, places that's possible is because so much uh, research and development goes into products and services in the U.S. Quite, uh, I think I was told that uh, more than any other country, uh, this, this happens particularly well in the U.S. And it also goes back to your, uh, uh, China, uh, regarding China, because quite, uh, the U.S. Demand, uh, depends a lot on foreign uh, international students who do research in like STEM fields and uh, in the finance industry also. So one of the, uh, uh, basically a particular plan of the Chinese uh, economy, basically there's quite a lot of international students from China. I'll be right back. I know the question you're answering. I'll be two seconds. I just need to chase after my dog. Won't be a second, guys. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. So, Nick, how are you doing? What basic debt is? Has he gone over what basic debt is for everyone? Are we all good on what a debt? What debt is? Yep. Oh, I don't know if everybody here knows what debt is. Uh -huh. I know. In the context of greater human history. Did he at least explain it? Did he okay. at least... I'm so sorry, guys. I, uh, yes, my dog was eating something that he shouldn't be. Uh... <laughs> no problem. Man. Okay, so the the question, if I understood it, if I understood it correctly, and, and I don't want to cut you off, was um, that, you know, the US economy it certainly depends on a lot of its intellectual property. Um, and that is something that is, is true. It's hugely important. It's actually going to be discussed in a video that I have upcoming around, um, you know, the large mega corporations of the United States. And, and most of them are sort of really based on their intellectual property, you know, their, their services and things like that. Um, now, I think, uh, oh, you're echoing death of time. Uh, thanks. So I think uh, there's probably a lot of things to unpack from that. Uh, and, and look, I think um, having foreign students studying in universities is Good and bad. Good in the sense that it's a really great export industry. You know, foreign foreign students come over here, they spend a lot of money in the country. It's effectively like tourism on steroids, uh, you know, because they'll pay tens of thousands, sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars to get an education in, let's say, like an American university. Uh, and it's much, much larger of an issue even in places like Canada and Australia specifically. Um, there's much more of a propensity to come here yes. just because they are a little bit more liberal with um, student visas. Um, now, the sort of drawback is, is as you sort of alluded to, 
um, you know, they're kind of taking a lot of the expertise of the nation back to their country, which would then turn around and be a competitive for us. Um, and look, it's one of those things that's really, really hard to quantify. Um, it's it's really sort of uh, one of those things where, you know, sure, someone might come over here, they get a Western education um, that's really fantastic. Maybe they invent the, the latest, greatest iPhone killing everything, you know, something that nobody needs to be charged in the two years that you own it and, you know, has better everything, uh, takes much better Instagram photos and, and, you know, just sort of demolishes, let's say, um, iPhone sales. Well, I mean, what's the sort of net benefit of having foreign students there based on that kind of hypothetical? Um, but it is just a hypothetical. Realistically, I think that's sort of something that's kind of overplayed, the idea that people are coming and learning all of our secrets and then taking them back over. Um, but certainly when you oh, kind of... Oh, no, no, I wasn't trying to suggest that. I just want to say that. Oh, so, so what, was the, what was the question then? Because, sorry, I chased after a, a dog. Uh, oh, no, no, that... please, please go on, because I, I like listening to you when you go you go off, because I learned <laughs> stuff when that happens. When I nice. Go, when I go oh, that's cute. When I go on to a little rant. Um, but yeah, look, I think uh, it's something that I think is, is very, uh, very overall good for an economy, you know. Um, in Australia specifically, there's, there's sort of been a lot of um, animosity, I suppose, towards foreign exchange students because, you know, they, they are a big population of Australian uni in Australian universities at the moment. Um, you know, sometimes you can see a majority of, of um, students in places like Sydney University are, you know, uh, Foreign, foreign exchange students, and um, there are drawbacks in that. Now, the good news is, of course, they're bankrolling these major institutions. They're making education for um, regular students cheaper, um, but also, you know, you'll get into a class where you might have, um, you know, 60 to 70% of the class not necessarily be on top of the coursework just because they don't have that sort of level of English uh, ability to um, facilitate learning university level topics um, which for average students is kind of a bummer because you kind of come there and you expect to be sort of working hand in hand with you know other very smart uh, switched on individuals that are understanding the subject matter and that might not necessarily be the case uh, i think a lot of it is also you know maybe a little bit of racism or oh, the reason that i didn't get into medicine at sydney university is because you exchange students well no look the reason you didn't get into to, you know you know medicine is, is because you're dumb um and you know people don't don't like it <laughs> thank you thank you for saying um that. E economics just gonna say uh yeah i can definitely sympathize with those um people in the courses where you you do kind of go there expecting um not say uh you you want to be able to converse with people that uh have a good level of education in your field but also be able to discuss a reasonable level yeah, but look, I mean, maybe in my sort of selfish, um, you know, being, it's, uh, uh, you know, I, I, oh, I yeah. went to an Australian university, of course, and, and, and sort of went through many levels of, of study there, and, and I would see sort of students uh, in classes that, that I would I would teach, and, um, you know, uh, of course, it's kind of a bit annoying when you're sort of, you know, lecturing to, to people, and, and you sort of, you know, that absolutely, they, they're getting... None of it. Not a goddamn yeah. thing. And, and hey, that sounds a, very much familiar, like me. What I'm going through right now. <laughs> and, 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 almost, the, the, um, and almost all the of it. The upside is. Oh, sorry, Ron. 
Yeah, and, and, and you know, look, you, you just know for certain. They're going to pass with flying colours because they probably paid someone to sit the test for them. And, and whatever, you know. Oh, there's someone with a little cat there. That's cute. Um, and, and Sorry, look, I mean, that's oh, mine. That's, oh, that's very, very cute. Um, but, um, you know, it, it's one of those things where also, on the other hand, I go, yeah, you know what? This is probably a little bit annoying. It's a bit, a bit frustrating. It probably goes against the, the academic ideologies that I have of, you know, fair and equal and, you know, uh, academic diligence. But also, you know, you guys are bankrolling my dissertation. So you're all right. You're all right by me. The good thing is you can also, it makes uh, more specialized courses a lot easier and more accessible. I wouldn't be able to do the course I do now without um, the percentage of students coming from China, uh, basically funding the course for myself <laughs> and making it more economically viable to actually teach it. Right. I have like three questions, three things. Uh, yes. First is baked potato is kind of muted and I think he wants to talk. Uh, second is um, like there's been a massive demographic change globally, not just in the U.S. but globally. Uh, and how do you, I guess, think that will affect the global economy moving forward? Because I think we're seeing this more as a U.S. versus China war, and I think that uh, it won't really matter in the next 80 years or so because everyone will just be living everywhere. And I guess what is the America's future business model? Because currently, it's you could. The, you know, the American dream, you can come over, we'll give you stuff, and then you can build whatever you want to, Facebook, blah, 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 Google, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, I guess demographic changes and how it will impact the world, and what is America's future business model, or do you think it will still maintain its current business model, even though countries like Singapore are uh, becoming more, uh, I guess, be, uh, creeping into that territory of, like, you can you know, highly educated task force, uh, labor force and uh, good capital markets for them or, or good uh, investors for them to invest and build uh, companies and stuff. So I think that's a really, really good question. Obviously, um, a lot of the major corporations of, of America now are ones that are very much based on having intelligent people, you know, sorry, pardon me, um, building, you know, really, um, you know, innovative things. Now, I don't see that changing uh if anything i see america embracing it more and more uh now that is going to be something that i explore in the thursday video uh, i'm looking there you go spoiler alerts i'm looking specifically at the rise of trillion dollar companies uh, and what's sort of causing that because you know 10 years ago that wasn't a thing um and today well look i mean they're not commonplace but they exist and and what is sort of causing that to to have happened uh, and that is because America has sort of adopted this new approach to, to business where it's not something that, you know, they're, they're making this or producing that or exporting this. Uh, they're building supply chains that are, that are global. You know, they're, they're, they're building things where, um, you know, hey, you know, America can benefit from the wealth of something that was never even on American soil. Uh, and that's fantastic. You know, and a lot of that has been accommodated by modern technology and things like that. So, look, uh, as annoying as it may sound, I think that's all I'm going to give you. You got to watch the video on Thursday. <laughs> well, I, so I'm going to ask uh, a question. Are you you do have it prepared to say, like, you know, look at past historical cases of large companies for their time? You know, like um, Standard Oil, and then even going further back, looking at um, the names of company. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Looking at those kinds of institutions, you know, very large for their time, 
um, employing lots of people and then making sure like I, I i know that's not like like if control for inflation all that um but it's um you know uh, like i look at today's you know modern world and i see oh there's lots of these large institutions there's just more of them whereas in the past there was like fewer of them ah so really interesting really interesting thing not necessarily true though okay i want to see that then awesome yeah. because so, to captain to clarify your question was regarding like in in comparison the the control certain major corporations had over the u.s economy not it, just u.s economy just over their domain of whatever they were doing okay how powerful they were gotcha yeah but um, I'm guessing EE also is not gonna is gonna touch on that plus other stuff, right? Yeah. So so look, I mean, the next video, um, not to give too much away, is going to focus on sort of modern trillion dollar companies. Um, you know, with, sort of, with probably special um, topical uh, importance because of the there's a floating of Aramco and, and things like that. Um, but then um, Dutch East India Company will get a video all uh, all to itself. Uh, because I think there's yeah, a lot yeah. of inherent misunderstandings around that. Uh, it certainly was a very, very impressive institution for its time, um, but perhaps uh, people have probably romanticised uh, it as an entity more so than it probably deserves. But again, yeah. uh, I'm not giving too much away. I'm not giving too much away. You guys got to watch the videos. God damn it! Well, the first yeah. that was divided in shares, eh? Well, if uh, the biggest company would be the South Seas. Company. Oh yeah, the freaking South Sea. Oh, South Sea. What a, South what a company! Bubble. What a company! Yeah, <laughs> totally on paper. Ah, Daniel Daniel Osaka had a really, really good, um, really, really good point. Uh, it was kind of a question, kind of a statement, but he said, uh, "Yeah, I've heard that some in some ways America's largest export is multinational corporations, uh, which is true." I remember when I was talking, uh, the video about foreign exchange was. Um, sort of how the United States specifically has sort of benefited from the globalized world that we live in for a few reasons. One, of course, they're the kind of the global default currency. So, um, you know, a lot of uh, international exchanges have to go through the United States. Uh, but also because, you know, they have these large institutions where, you know, let's say an iPhone, for example, will be produced in China using parts from Brazil, then shipped on a Greek ship to, to Germany where a German will buy it. And, you know, at none of that time, uh, has has America used any of its own resources? Has it used any of its own labor? Has it sort of spent any of its own money? But at the end of the day, whatever profit is made there is going back to normally an American shareholder at, in an American company. So um, yeah, it's a really interesting way of thinking about it. I, I don't know if I'd call it an export industry, but certainly um, I could see how that would be said that yeah, America's largest export is its multinational corporations. Uh, pretty interesting question slash statement but anyway yeah i i'd like to also clarify about my uh previous comment i was uh trying to get out basically the the base uh immigrants basically are especially highly skilled ones are very desirable and uh and needed needed in modern economies and uh the second thing is uh i'm sorry for your experience with uh uh international students i'm I'm guessing it might have been the undergrad. My my own experience is kind of the exact opposite because they tend to be uh, uh, grad school like heavy science and math students that are way above or equal to. 
like and and they do a lot of the good research here at the universities in the u.s uh like cancer research and stuff and we, yeah. we definitely oh look oh it was like yeah for oh yeah it's uh, yeah obviously broad strokes broad strokes of course but in in australia specifically it it's, it's kind of got its reputation of it's a really sort of prestigious place to study so a lot of rich um, you know, Chinese oh, people yeah. will spend their their kids to to study undergraduate degrees here, and they'll basically pay their entire way through. And you know, there's been a, sort of a lot of cheating and things like that. And then certainly, I mean, obviously there are sort of uh, international students that are there on their own merit and are you know literally some of the smartest minds from around the world, and that's why they're in sort of major institutions like they are, especially like in the USA. Uh, but of course, you know, you've got to take the good with the bad. Now. Um, Sorry, the um, the other question was um, sort of on the sort of net benefit of, of skilled migration. Uh, and that's something that yes. is hugely, um, hugely beneficial to, to any kind of economy. You know, the reason is, of course, you know, skilled migrants, they, for starters, uh, bring along with them money when they move to a country. They've got to buy a house and buy a car and buy a TV and buy couches and all that kind of stuff. So you get that upfront kind of thing. Uh, but also they're adding you know, an extra sort of hand of demand, you know, they've got to pay for, you know, food, they've got to pay for water, they've got to fuel their cars, they've got to, you know, they're going to want to go to, you know, soccer games or whatever it may be, they're going to add demand, uh, but they're also going to add supply of, you know, competition, resourcefulness, you know, in intellect in many cases, and, and oftentimes they're adding those to industries that are severely lacking, and that's part of how they get in on skilled visa programs. Uh, I actually directly... Uh, when I was doing my postgraduate work, did a study on uh, the relationship between, uh, you know, immigration and uh, economic prosperity, and it was one of the strongest correlations that we sort of d discovered in in the statistics course that I was doing it as, as part of coursework for. Uh, so we did like a T minus two of of economic sort of migration, skilled migration into uh, I think it was about 100 countries, um, and we sort of saw a huge positive correlation between, uh, you know upswings in, in um, you know, skilled migration and, and upswings in, in economic prosperity. Now, of course, you know, you have to control that for things like uh, normally sort of countries going through more prosperous times will introduce, um, you know, more sort of migration. But, um, you know, that that's why we sort of added that T minus two time and, and it's still, um, yeah, I mean, it was still sort of remarkable to sort of explore that and actually sort of see it that happening because it's something that's probably almost taken for granted. But yes, yeah, uh, skilled migration is, is hugely beneficial. Can I ask a question when, when, on this? When you do your video about China, is there any chance I could help with the research in any way? Uh, I've done all three videos on China. I'll probably inevitably do it again in the future. Um, but sure, I mean, hey, if you have something to, um, to, to add, yeah, absolutely. I, I, like I can add something right now. That, for example, you talked about uh, very wealthy Chinese sending their kids over here. But uh, for the cases where they're uh, like a PhD student and they can't pay for the program, there's this uh, opportunity where the government of China can pay for the program as long as the student signs this uh, agreement, this contract, where after their program, they will bring their knowledge and skills uh, back to China after the program is uh, done. Yeah, and, and obviously, you know, the hope of the government there is that they, they bring that sort of technical knowledge back. Um, yeah, uh, but anyway, look, uh, that is, I'll probably, um, have a question over on um, the... Um, 
Do we have a question over on the YouTube live stream? Uh, do you think the Fed in the US will do their own coin currency? Would that have a huge effect on things? What? Um, I mean, the, the the US has coins. I don't. Yes. What? Um, I don't understand that question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you kind of went uh, a little weird there. Let, let, me, let me try to salvage that person's question. Uh, the, the penny in the U.S. is essentially worthless. It takes seven pennies to create, uh, uh, seven cents to create think, a penny in the I U.S. I think they were asking what, about uh, crypto, a crypto coin. Oh, okay. Never mind. Sorry. Make, make, make your resident uh, coin or resident crypto person. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, what's uh, up? Okay, yeah, 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 boy. What's the what, no what's the Fed doing right now for uh, their own crypto coin? Oh, uh, they're sleeping currently. Oh. Okay. <laughs> the major the major banks are quite. Yeah. Chase has its own uh, quorum blockchain, so it's a side chain of Ethereum, which is interesting. Uh, Japan is Japan and Europe uh, had Project Stella, so it's interbank transfers uh, across the continents. Uh, there's a few projects. I'll I'll send a link. But yeah, uh, it's mostly the banks. I don't think the Fed is doing anything, uh, like from my knowledge. But a lot of uh, very interesting thing is uh, Ethereum Denver. The conference uh, <clears throat> happened in Denver, Colorado, and uh, the governor of Colorado was there, and uh, he was just like sitting in and listening to Ethereum blockchain stuff. So clearly, the government is open to these things. Uh, so who knows how the future goes? It's it's too early to tell what anyone would do because everyone's trying to find the big use case which is something that the market will decide in uh, inevitably so yeah so i'll just I send could, a bunch of I projects could, i i could add just a little to that that most likely uh moving to a cashless society will i mean there's a good chance of it happening as if blockchain is used all the transactions could most likely be kept track of and the sort of dark money that's going untaxed might be uh i mean that would be a rationale for the u.s government if it would ever want to adopt such a, a cashless system yeah well i mean there's major problems with that i mean it's been discussed many times before and the biggest thing is like what's stopping some other because the whole point of, of blockchain in the beginning was to be a peer-to-peer -peer decentralized uh alternative yeah. to the current centralized system so Until the, the, the point is that you... system takes that over I'm sorry, yeah, I'm but sorry, then what's what's the too. point of like the the the, whole big, the biggest point of it is the decentralization, the peer to peer system that was created. Uh, um, also, transactions are still quite expensive. Uh, with layer two solutions, things are getting faster and cheaper. But uh, yeah, it's just it's too early, and I would say that a centralized system would be a lot better as government has complete control. Um, also, people can avoid taxes regardless of blockchain or whatever it may be. Uh, this Zcash, Zcash is a private alternative. There's yeah, there's a bunch of others as well. The, that's I guess the, the the biggest goal is because you can't create a system in which people will just you, you can't create a definitive version of whatever you're creating that will stop avoidance. So you have to make it very difficult to avoid tax or incentivize people not to avoid tax, which is something that government has been, all governments globally have been um, trying to do. Donald Trump with his tax cuts and basically saying, hey, if you invest in America, there'll be a lot of benefits in it for you, uh, that those kinds of things.
I feel like incentives is better. Okay, got it. So um, if I may ask, oh, sorry. Oh no, uh, Meek, your your voice is kind of is kind of um. I mean, your connection is not that good. Oh yeah, so I'm at two. I'm in Malaysia right now, and my connection is not that great. I'm using Digi. Sorry, Overwatcher, but yeah, it, it's quite bad. Sorry, let me just disconnect. Yeah, we'll, and we'll we'll discuss later. Right. May I DM you later? <laughs> cool. Um, well, look, guys, uh, that is all I have time for tonight. It's 1 a.m. here. Uh, as always, I, I upload these videos quite late so I can kind of meet as many time zones as possible. Um, but thanks for... Will you make a video on Balkans? Oh, my goodness gracious me. <laughs> will I... <laughs> if I didn't have all the questions, will you ever make a video on XYZ? Uh, man, these these, these mm -hmm. things are going a lot, lot, lot smoother. Yeah, probably. I don't know. Maybe eventually. Oh. We'll see. Um, no promises. Oh, I, I, I have a question before you go. So, oh. Xi and I usually just uh, post memes and make videos anyway. I, I'm, I'm going to speak on behalf of Xi. If, like, if there's any way for us to help you with the editing work and stuff, uh, Xi can help you. I, I'm just going to... Yeah, I was Oh just yeah, I'm available if you need any help or any tips. I was just speaking. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah, what do you I'm, call it? I, I was eating chips while uh, you were talking, so I didn't want to interrupt anybody with my munching. But uh, yeah, if you need any help, feel free to ask. Lucky yeah, because we usually make weeb videos anyway, like meme videos, so might as well be productive. Wow, actually contribute something of value to society. Nah, hey, no. I yeah. used to make professional quality videos and that was fun. But I prefer yeah. making fun educational videos. Uh, gee, the you have your thesis to write. Get on it. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up, Hawk. Send E the bird video. It's very cute. Okay, well, I'll send the Minecraft the series video. coming. So, uh, <laughs> hey, mate, hey who, who says we're not opening up an actual Minecraft server and I'll just document that? Oh, wow. Oh, that's a good point. Hey, I've got Minecraft server web. I'll just sort of sit yep. sit in the background like um uh, what's his name the the old guy that does the documentaries on, on David Attenborough. Yeah, and, and comment. Here we what, see the average just young me trying to commercialize into Minecraft. <laughs> anyway, okay, okay, bedtime, bedtime. Continue to the discussion amongst yourself. Thank you, YouTube live stream. You're not convincing me to spend any more time on here. You, you naughty, naughty boy. <laughs> Wait, there's a big bird video. Nope, 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 I'm going. Always pleasure talking to you. He's going. Bye. 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 Bye.